Welcome to Transformation in 10, bringing you expert insights for navigating the transformations impacting application delivery. This podcast is presented by Tricentis and brought to life by our special guests across the quality, DevOps, cloud, and business worlds. Greetings, listeners. It's Emma here, and I've got another stellar guest with me today. I'm thrilled to be joined today by Armani Black, Technology Consulting Manager at Accenture, one of our partners here at Tricentis. I connected with Armani after one of our customer success managers, Matt Angra. He called you a fast rising star, and <laughs> rightly so. So I'm excited to have caught you today. Uh, welcome, Armani. How's it going? Thank you so much. It's going really great. And it's Valentine's Day, so it's day yeah. about sex self-love. Um, so I'm really happy to be here and just really um, excited to talk to you today. Oh, I'm glad you didn't gloss over the fact it's Valentine's Day. Exactly. Yes, self-love. You can't, and you I can't like that angle of self-love that. too. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Especially when you are, you love what you do. It exudes in your team and people you work with. And it's, it's definitely something that I don't gloss over at all. My friends know I'm very extra about any type of holidays. <laughs> But definitely what I can say too. <laughs> and uh, this is the second episode of our Ladies Who Lead series. So I'm chatting here with women who have excelled and have achieved the exceptional in top level positions in software technology. Now, Armani, you've spent the last five plus years at Accenture, where you've been propelled through the ranks and uh, leading testing teams, working on digital critical initiatives such as SAP and Workday. And now you're casting your net wider um, as a technology consulting manager. Accenture is a Fortune 500 company making 50 billion a year, plus I'm sure providing a plethora of critical technology services. And that's across all industries such as AI, security, cloud, tech innovation and beyond. So lots of opportunity there for you, I'm sure. Now, as in your managerial role today, I understand you're aligned to transformation excellence within the health and public uh, service practice. So healthcare management being a domain that you're super passionate about and pretty knowledgeable on, how has this kind of pairing of expertise and passion fed into your leadership and also your team's outputs? Really for me, how it starts is when I was in college or undergrad, I did teaching I'm student teaching with young kids. And I noticed that most of the kids that I was working with um, had something going on, whether it was within their own family or within themselves that had to relate to healthcare. So I thought to myself, like, how can I ask you to show up and be an awesome student if you have so many things going on that are beyond control? And so what I started thinking about is I want to be in an industry that is more proactive than reactive. And I really believe that healthcare really allows for um, young students as well as um, others to really be able to take that first hurdle away or boundary away for them to be able to show up um, as their full selves in school or work or whatever, what have you. And so that's when I navigated from teaching to more technology and healthcare, just because I wanted to really be on the front end of it. And I believe I really bring that um, passion to my uh, team. They know, they'll probably re- say to you that um, they can still see the teacher in me because I love icebreakers. I love to get to know them um, because it, in a way I'm truly introverted because 
I'm not a fan of like the small talks that really don't lead to much. I know the Super Bowl in the U.S. was just yesterday. I wouldn't <laughs> yeah. be talking to my team about that at all. I really just want to see how are they as an individual. Um, and that really helps us because once I understand who you are, I can really understand how you show up to the team and what we can really accomplish together. And I think that feeds into the leadership style of really building out our project plan together, make sure everyone has inputs, they feel heard, they feel that they contribute, and we all are motivated to um, really achieve those goals together. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you're clearly a, you know, a team motivator and a self-motivator. You know, you did, uh, I think just recently you passed your, your MBA, MBA in, um, in healthcare management, which is yes. awesome. As you said, healthcare does really affect every one of us. Its impact is huge. So it just speak to everyone too. And then that just completely underlines everything that you then feed into your team. So that's, Incredible. Especially, yeah. And I just add, especially in a virtual world, because I became a manager of a team during the pandemic. And so I wanted the team to know that regardless of where you are, because I have a global team. So some people are in India, others are, are in the UK, um, others are in the US. So wherever you are virtually as well as physically, you're still a part of this team. And so I want to make sure that everyone is aware of who I am as a manager, but also um, as a contributor to the team too. And yeah, just exactly be super present and clear on like what, what you're working with and how people can contribute. That's awesome. And I was also really interested to hear that you head up the testing center of excellence at Accenture. And obviously transformation is so clearly tied to quality. So that, that makes complete sense to me. Um, how is it that you manage that testing center actually in order to achieve your goals? Yeah. So our goal, whenever we come in with the client, we always spend weeks, if not months, just really understanding who the client is, really assessing them and answering that main question, what keeps you up at night? What problem am I here to solve? And so as you mentioned earlier, I'm working on, you know, workday. So how can workday really, you know, um, solve the problem or how can this really be integrated with all of the other systems that the client is working on? And so that's what I would bring to the client. And then from that assessment, we really start bringing out the main pillars of work and the main work streams and putting them into bite-sizable work items or work tasks that we put into two-week sprints. And so that's really how we're able to achieve our goal in a um, rather fast manner is really being able to, one, fail fast if we're going to fail, and two, really being able to look at the previous sprint, do a sprint retrospective and say, what can we change? How can we do this better? So that next time we're able to approach um, the work items and the work tasks a little bit more effectively. Um, and that's how we've been really able to achieve our goals. Awesome. Yeah. So like, looking at those pain points and uh, relaying those to you know each individual situation. Yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned Workday. This is certainly, I mean, it's long read its head now, but it's definitely in there amongst the kind of critical applications that our clients are working with. So yeah, nice example. And it does lead to my next question because these critical apps like SAP, you know, there's a long line of them now, which need our attention. As you mentioned, you've worked with Workday currently and in the past. So are there any best practices that have emerged from your time working with those specifically? Yeah, for me, um, a best practice that I've witnessed over time is really being able to gradually roll out or introduce Workday or any of these because um, SAP definitely has multiple modules. But I've never been a fan of like the Big Bang implementation because for one, it you know slows down 
the ability to really see in a, a return on it until it's all the way finished. Like you can, you're able to see incremental returns, but ultimately it helps with change management. So there are certain systems in which your employees or your customers may be able to really kind of go along that journey with you as you're implementing it so that they're able to understand what those changes are and how with that um, feature works. And so that's been like my main advice with implementing is, you know, a big thing, but ultimately testing it so that, you know, as I'm a test lead, but testing it so it really fits the customers, you know, what they had in mind. Because as a techie, we want to show all of the bells and whistles and it can do that and it can do this. But if the client never said that that was an issue or that that was something they really want to tackle, then you're really missing the mark and you're investing in so many time, so much time, effort and resources into something that doesn't necessarily generate benefit for the client. So I think it really goes back to your last question um, and my answer of really understanding the the client and bringing them along that journey with you, allowing them to test with you, um, really you're able to do so. Now, this is uh, a question that's related to your work outside of Accenture because yeah, you're super kind of, you have an array of things that you're doing both inside and outside and you are a former VP of the Black, Hispanic and Indian Association. Now that's a group um, I'm quoting the the website now, committed to enhancing the experience of underrepresented students of color by increasing recruitment and expanding professional development opportunities. So could you dig a little deeper actually into how that org helps make better representation a reality? Yes, I want to really just kind of start with building confidence around people uh, that look like me, people of color, is ultimately how we're able to transform what those opportunities look like. So there's no one way. I know there's a lot of organizations doing the same thing, but what worked for Bahia, which is um, the nickname for Black, Hispanic, and Indian Association, so Bahia, what worked for us is really being able to help with prep sessions. So if there is a networking event or there's a career fair that is happening in a month or so, we will hold prep sessions, um, mock interviews. So everyone's able to really clearly uh, benefit from helping each other out, sharing tips and tricks, and really being confident and really understanding that you deserve to be there just like anyone else. And so to diminish your light really takes away from your true skill. So just show up as your true self. And so that's what I really appreciated about that. But also it's an organization really committed to the city. Um, so the organization is tied to um, Johns Hopkins and Baltimore. So, but he is really um, connected to Baltimore City as a whole in the U.S. So I know you're not from the U.S., but those who are listening may be able to relate that um, Baltimore is definitely a city that benefits from a lot of these organizations being involved with youth and providing different opportunities so that youth are able to see that there's different um, routes to take, whether it is grad school or any other profession. Um, we're just there along every step of the way. And so it's been fun. Like I mentioned, I was a teacher before. So it's really nice connecting with youth, um, helping them you know, really decide what they want to do post uh, school. So I really enjoy being a part of it. Oh, now this next question always pr- presents some head scratching because it is kind of a, a more succinct uh, question or answer, should I say. In 10 words or less, what is your best piece of advice for aspiring women, uh, women aspiring to technology leadership roles? Yeah, the first one is to don't wait until you possess all of the different qualities that are on a job description to apply for a job. Always aim higher. Um, and the second one is negotiate, negotiate, negotiate. 
And I'll dive into those a little bit. Um, and because I did some research and saw that our male counterparts, they're known for their confidence. They're known for being able to really apply for roles that they may not even be qualified for, but they just have a gut instinct or they know someone or they're just really able to show up. And research shows that women, we wait till we have all of the qualifications, maybe even more to show why we deserve a job that we're applying to. And what I truly have done at Accenture and in other roles, is just go for it, whether um, I have everything on that job description or whether I look like the person that was in that role previously. You never know what you're able to bring to it. And as long as you stay true to yourself and in that interview, explain what assets and attributes and skills you have for that role, you just never know. And you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. And I don't need us missing any shots as women. Um, I want us to make sure that we're able to really climb that ladder. So just go for it. Don't overthink it. And my second advice was negotiate, negotiate, negotiate. It's very clear in the U.S. I'm not sure how it is in other countries, but women are not paid on the same scale as men. Um, and some I don't believe it, but hey, we're, we live in a world that we have to, you know, really go by the stats. And some believe that um, it is due to the fact that women don't necessarily negotiate. And so to debunk that myth or to to overcome that hurdle, I would say, just negotiate, see what you would be willing to offer. And even if it's not a monetary like salary, it, ultimately you want to be able to be comfortable in that role. So if it's not monetary, it can be, you know, paid time off. It can be, you know, the work structures. It can be just other things that would benefit you as an individual and to really be able to show up as your true self. Um, Cause you don't want to be at the job second guessing whether you settle for less. That's not what you want to do. So just really being able to negotiate there. Yes. I love the, the line debunking the myth because it is, you know, it is a system, systemic issue. Unfortunately, it doesn't just lie in, in the US. The, the pay gap is pretty much uh, worldwide. So as you say, like a, a way to close that gap is exactly to, to be proactive and not be afraid of like, not see your limitations before you've even, you know, like applied for the role is to kind of project yourself into that and see how could I perform or, you know, really focus on those strengths. That's awesome advice. Thank you so much. And to finish off, if uh, if you could get your magic wand out and change just one thing about the application world that we operate in today, what would that be? So for me, I am a person that I really love to see the end to end cycle because from assessment all the way to implementation, I'm really being able to do so. And so one thing I would change about application development as if with the vendor, because obviously we purchase, you know, these softwares and stuff, but if we're able to really go through the application development process with them, um, it would be, I believe, beneficial. You can really give real time feedback on how the application operates, any changes that you would make, really how to customize it to the client's needs. Um, and I really appreciate that uh, about just how some vendors do work. And so I would love for that to be an overall best practice for all vendors to really kind of walk that tightrope like we as consultants do with our clients, that a vendor would be able to do that with application development. And then also having focus groups, which I'm sure they have, but I haven't been involved with them, but just really having focus groups on how to build the app um, in the future or how to change it 
um, would really love to be a part of those just because I feel like the more um, opinions or diversity of those who, you know, you have those inputs, it really makes sure that the application is beneficial to all instead of one certain client. You're really able to make sure that it can be used um, universally or globally. So. Sure, because the more users or customers you have involved in that process. Yes, you know, really have the that. better the output. Yeah, you know, I was going to say, really have that group really be representative of everyone that uses it, not just your diamond clients or your major clients, yeah. which I know that at the bottom line that, you know, that's <laughs> important too. But yeah, we all use it. So let us all be a part of that development process with you. Awesome. So Armani, I could really continue talking. It's been a really awesome chat. And now I just want to say a huge thank you for jumping on today, being such a champion, sharing your story. You know, it's full of variety and inspiration and your ability to combine like the compassion with the the technical skill and make that personable is like loud and clear. So thank you. Many thanks for joining. And yeah, hopefully I'll check in with you another time. Of course. Thanks so much for having me, Emma. Armani set such an incredible example as to how to actively stand for better representation of groups that society often unjustly discriminates against. Her words, to diminish your light really takes away from your true skill, so just show up as your true self, are really powerful, as is her statement that you miss 100% of the shots you don't take, and I don't need us missing any shots as women. You can hear more from Armani in a webinar alongside other women leaders on April 26, championing women in tech and their achievements in driving digital transformations. You can sign up at tricentus.com slash events. Many thanks for listening. Until next airtime. 